Hello, my name is Brandon Walter. Hello, my name is Chris Hunter. And uh, today we'll be presenting a uh, kind of like a uh, culture research on women in Islam. So, uh, like, just like sort of like daily life of women in the Middle East is like, uh, it's like women are like uh, in the Middle East are like fully aware of their situation of like being kind of like the second class and like, uh, they know their role in society, like, uh, even in, like, early development, their families and stuff would teach them how to, uh, like, clean clothes, cook dinner, stuff like that, all, uh, all main roles of, of women in Middle East era, and, uh, like, and once old enough, what, that being puberty, they, uh, they usually look for, like, they usually look for a husband or just like a partner to just uh, settle down with. And uh, the thing about marriage is that it's usually uh, not chosen by them, but we'll get that into that later. Uh, most of the ages that they're usually married at is like 16 to 20 years old. Uh, it's kind of like a misconception that like women don't know what they're getting into or like they uh they didn't know that they were gonna be like second class and that they're kind of oppressed, but it's that uh, it's just that they don't have as much rights as most people uh, would have in like in more traditional countries where like uh, women have like equal rights and stuff like that. But uh, women in the Middle East usually know the situation and why they're there. So uh. To uh, piggyback off of that, uh, are, like, all women oppressed? So uh, I don't really think that all women are oppressed in the uh, in the Middle East. And, like, many assume that they are just because of the uh, stereotype that's put on them. And uh, it's, just, it's really not true. There is, like, no gender equality in the Middle East, like, any, pretty much anywhere in the Middle East, uh, including Israel, and the phenomena, phenomena of uh, sexism and like misogyny are like is not just specific to uh, to Middle East. It's pretty much global, and uh, it's not like something that's like specific to the Middle East. And like the roles of women change depending on which family they're in, which household, and uh, but like, it's they're most it's mostly based on like religion and their belief, their own personal beliefs, and uh, and like more times than not, women are like uh, are kept at the house to do like uh, to do housework, and if they like even if they are they do take jobs, it's rarely outside of like maid work or like low labor labor jobs. And this has, like, been kind of put on them of, like, oppression and, like, uh, being not happy of where they are because of the uh, U.S. and how it betrays them. And it kind of, like, exacerbated this, like, oppression and, like, made it more, uh, like, more of a, like, oppressive nation than it really is. And it kind of, like, puts a bad light on it. Inequality in society.
status of women varies widely in the Middle East, and one should not reject the norms in Saudi Arabia, one of the most sexist and oppressive states in the region, onto the larger Muslim world. Um, Saudi Arabia, I guess they really treat the women really bad, because real, really, there's no equality like you were saying earlier. It's a lot of women take maid jobs and work in the house. They really under under the uh, man in the household. Yeah, Saudi Arabia Arabia is one of the like few countries where uh, where like their religion and their beliefs are very strict. Like uh, Iran is also another uh, example of this, where. Uh, there is where mostly oppression and stuff comes from uh, whenever you think of oppression in the Middle East. And it's kind of just like the, uh, the, the very few 1% that uh, actually is oppressed and like doesn't feel like they have rights and stuff like that. And uh, like in, the, in Saudi Arabia, like women are very inferior. Like they just because of their very strict religious code and like uh that like it's not that women are uh are oppressed through their religion it's just that uh just a pattern of it and just uh building off of it just from what they're used to uh it's kind of like a history of women's inequality like unlike uh countries like our own like the middle east like I said, mostly in Saudi Arabia and Iran, it's like it's very different. Like it's almost polar opposite of each other, and just like social life, and uh, women are like kind of go based off belief, and like basically the whole family, the whole household goes off the belief of uh, their individual, but uh, they usually follow religion first and it's like really important to them even uh even if it means risking family they're uh, all about religion and just uh like in our book ideology of like women being second class and like dominant figures it's like it's very common especially in like uh the two countries i listed and like workforce social class any of that every uh everything is just kind of it's very male dominated. Uh, like the family in the household, families in the Middle East are usually very understanding and know the limits of their parent, of their partners. However, that does not mean everyone is as understanding. And some more religious individuals, they will have the woman wear burqas in public and be silent unless asked for. Because the men and the men in the Middle East believe that they their partner's body should be only for them, and uh, they believe that people should not be able to see their body. Like I said, that they basically that's their body, like their sex, whatever they needs and wants for their body. That's them. They don't want nobody else to see it. The most harmful of such practice, however, being the tolerance and acceptance of domestic violence in the household. These attacks of violence are most mostly centered in Saudi Arabia and other religious countries. Yeah, so like uh, 
the uh the most extreme cases uh like usually come with from within the household and the uh like how the father kind of like takes up the uh the role of like the dominant figure in the household and like basically the controlling figure and uh like you said like uh the uh, the men are really like control like uh based on control of the household and like they don't they they almost see their wives as like uh their own and they kind of like break off from uh from like physical values and stuff like that to basically be more centered off their belief and religion uh women today in the uh, 20th century various things like the spread of uh, literacy and like increased val- availability of education in both boys and girls it's like increasing job uh job opportunities for women uh and it's like it's really becoming more uh like it's becoming more and more women dominated which is great and uh like women are even protesting against uh domestic violence and like giving women more rights the only country however that is uh kind of like hard and not budging to change anything is of course Saudi Arabia which uh many people just grasp at to uh kind of name the whole the whole area and their beliefs based on Saudi Arabia and the uh the uh conversations to uh Islam from other religions have like added to the desire of muslim women and like the greater empowerment in the in the practice and the interpretation of the faith so uh uh later we'll have a uh, graph of like the percent of employed women so uh just looking at the graph it seems like uh like at first women did have a lot like high employment rates but as years went on to like 2000 it started to drop uh go back up drop and uh like over to 20 2014-2015 era, it's at its lowest at like 7.5%. And it's just now gradually getting back up. Women in politics. So uh, as, the, uh, as the Middle East becomes more diverse and more inclusive of women, and uh, even in the government, uh, women uh, start taking up roles in the, uh, in the government like a uh, representation and uh, the regions with like the lowest rates of uh, political representation is at 18%. Compa- uh, this compared to like the global average of like 22% of women in, uh, in office or in, uh, in government. However, this number seems to be like increasing with countries like uh, Algeria and to Tunisia at 31%. So uh, this is just another uh, another picture of just showcasing how much women in the uh, Middle East are in office. Uh, many are at the uh, 25% range and a little bit lower. Uh, and uh, again, most notably, Saudi Arabia has no, no women in office right now. The Islamic marriage process. 
The marriage process in Islam leaves women with little to no choice in who they are married to, with a man usually seeking out a suitable companion and asking her father for her hand in marriage. This sometimes happens without the female being present or even knowing about the suitor. Women are often chosen based on her wealth, beauty, nobility, or religiousness. Like uh, yeah, they, a lot of women have arranged marriages in uh, Middle East. Like yeah, they don't get to choose who they marry. Their parents most of the time does it. Uh, most of the uh, choices usually like is uh, women are usually never in control of almost anything that they uh, try to have. Like even in uh, like in the younger years, the uh, their father is their like their uh, male figure to look up to, the one they uh, they basically take directions uh, from, the one that we, that they basically follow. And so even like marriage isn't even a, a choice for them. Mostly uh, like they go off just physical value and uh, how much the man can uh, su- can uh, support their, uh, their daughter or like how much they can support uh, support them as parents, and uh, their most their main goal is to have just a thriving family, and I think that's the main reason they have arranged marriages, uh, not just because it's like more oppressive or anything. I think it's just the case of uh, of trying to find the right man, uh, not even based on looks or personality, just based on if they can make a living and if they can. Uh, even survive. Uh, women's clothing. Uh, usually, a uh, woman like wears different type of headgears, hijabs, uh, chadors, uh, niqabs, burkas, and uh, hijabs covering the least amount, and burkas covering the most. Uh, hijabs is usually just like the lower class of a uh, of like head covering. It still shows the face and the uh, the hair usually, but uh, it covers like the uh, the top of their head, back, and their neck. Uh, this is usually like used to just kind of cover up uh, cover up the women, just uh, to make their uh, their bodies less of like a sex appeal almost, and get off like physical value. And kind of stray more towards like uh like actually relationships of uh of like real meaning, and uh like be more focused on religion. And uh, once you go down the line to like uh, chador or hador, uh, it covers most of the uh, most of the head, and it keeps uh the main part of the face still co- uh still open. And the niqab is the one that most people see, where they uh, they cover up all the neck, all the shoulders, all the face, uh, except for the eyes. So it has a little slit on the uh, on the front of the of the mask where the eye, where the woman can see through. Now, at the end of the spectrum, the burqa is one of the most extreme cases, and is kind of rarely seen, where it covers up the whole face. And it has a little drape over over everything in the face to where the women can see where they're going 
barely and like to where they just don't like chip or fall but still to where no one sees basically the men see as their their own and the their their wife basically so to get more into the uh, social and uh, political standpoint the uh the taliban taliban is like ultra conservative political and religious faction and it emerged in Afghanistan in the mid like 1990s and this is a draw Soviet troops in the collapse of Afghanistan's com- communist reg- uh, regime uh, so this is basically after the fall of communism and its beliefs and the uh, the Taliban were basically against communism at its core they did not agree to it. they did not like basically they and I agree to it. They do like they'll fight against it. They'll do whatever they can to not get back into it. And uh, the uh, subsequent breakdown in like the civil order and uh, the faction took its name. It's uh, been established in Afghan uh, refugees in the 1980s in northern Pakistan. And Taliban are now like the most notorious in the human rights abuse abuses. And uh, the group emerged in, like, 1994 after years of conflict. And uh, now their members uh, were former Mahadeen fighter who had been trained in Pakistan during Afghanistan's civil war in the 80s and 90s. They came together later to, uh, with the aim of making Afghanistan an Islamic state. And the Taliban rule, ruled in Afghanistan from 1996 till 2001. So, uh, to try to like uh, compare our book, so our book uh, kind of like shows a little bit of the Taliban and the uh, how they uh, they are introduced into the uh, into the story into the timeline. And that uh, many people actually uh, are with the Taliban, like they support the group, and they they like follow them because uh, mostly because they are their government uh, figure over them were usually abusive. They used to kidnap people, kill them. Uh, there were stray rockets everywhere. There was wars. It was uh, at that time. It was like very dreary and it was not a great hierarchy to be under so uh they just thought uh anyone other than them would be fine and since like the taliban are kind of like the uh kind of like rebelling and it's all people that they kind of know they uh they kind of it's kind of easy for them to support them even more but on the other hand uh there's some people who actually disagree with them Mostly, uh, like, women in politics and, like, uh, just their beliefs. Just because the Taliban still has those beliefs of, uh, of abuse and torment and stuff like that. Like, still maintaining, maintaining the, uh, the very strict values of Iran and uh, Saudi Arabia and uh, those countries and kind of like developing that all around Afghanistan and the Middle East.
So, Taliban's social policies are, uh, it includes the near total exclusion of women in public li- from public life, and this is including employment and educational, and the systematic destruction of non-Islamic arti- artistic relics and the implementation of harsh criminal punishments are largely disapproved by the rest of the world. So, the, uh, the Taliban are fiercely with the, uh, the religion of uh, Islam and their belief is basically anything else that's not Islam is basically their enemy and they try to kind of wipe it out like the uh, like in somewhat recent news they uh, they destroy like ancient relics and stuff like that and statues just because it's not a uh, part of the religion religion of their own and uh, also from what I said before Women do not support uh, the uh, the Taliban at all because of their basically total exclusion of women in social, economical, uh, government, like basically anything that has a role. They don't want women in it unless it's like uh, family roles. They want like a traditional uh, roles of family where the women and the women stay at home, and the uh, the men are at work, and and in government. The Taliban and women. So to connect the two, under the Taliban, women and girls were like discriminated against in many ways for the quote unquote crime of being born a girl. So in the Middle East, it's uh for more uh for more stricter uh individuals is uh, seen to be a crime or a uh, an almost offense to be a woman in Islam. It's like mostly it's mostly just like seen as a uh, an object of a of like uh, of just trying to be a, uh, a man is just shown to be for them more important and women to be less important. So uh, the uh, Taliban enforced their version of Islamic Sharia law and women and girls were banned from going to school or studying, banned from working, banned from leaving the house without a male chaperone, banned from showing their skin in public, banned from accessing healthcare delivered by men, with women forbidden from working, healthcare was virtually inaccessible, and banned from being involved in politics or speaking publicly. So basically, uh, in the Taliban's mind, uh, women were basically just the object of the man and not really having much value. And they really don't want them to be involved in anything, like I said, and they're mostly the uh, the group that would be in support of like burkas and the full face covering because of the no skin uh, showing. And they're also um, they're also like uh, they caused like attacks on women trying to uh, educate themselves, uh, like in like in very popular news where uh, they like hijack buses to make sure there weren't women in there uh, and like they would kill women uh, that were trying to go to school they would uh, they basically 
they basically made women in that area oppressed, and I think that's what basically started the uh, the stereotype of a uh, most women being oppressed. I remember children born out of wedlock. Adultery and producing a child out of wedlock is indeed a most enormous sin in Islam. Women with children born out of wedlock are usually judged heavily. Their children are often judged as well, with teachers sometimes assuming them to be troublemakers due to their parents' sins. Yeah, so uh, this basically referring back to uh, just their religion and how they are really hard-pressed on uh, on their beliefs. So, uh, like, sins like, uh, like wedlock and stuff like that are uh, really hard sins that uh, people can do in that area. And even if your parents have done it and you have no, uh, no recollection or, like, you, like, you have no involvement in it, you're still, you're still judged off of your parents' uh, judgment and, like, your parents' deeds or sins, basically. And you're basically judged upon, like, you're less than and that you weren't a part of the uh, religion anymore. Uh, women's rights in Islam. Women are considered to be the uh, inferior sex in Islam in uh, a lot of countries. Uh, excuse me, in a lot of countries, uh, and this is basically just solely off belief and the religion in general, and and in Islam in particular, are women's enemy. Women's inequality is a God's commandment, and in Islam. Islam enshrined in immutable law by Muhammad and eventually recorded in scripture. In most countries under Islamic states or under the influence of Islam, Quran's directives and incorporated into contemporary law. So now time to uh, compare culture of Splendid Sons in the Middle East. So to explain the culture of Thousand Splendid Sons, our book, uh, it sets, uh, it sets uh, in like the night, the late 1900s, 1990s, when uh, when women were uh, did not have much rights, and they were under the uh, the will of man, and it follows two women, most notably Miriam and Layla. Miriam. Uh, Starting it as a kid, was uh, grew up with a uh, with the mother, who basically taught her really hard and uh, basically try. I think try to prepare her for the life of uh, almost oppression and the uh, people basically bullying her and not uh, listening to her at all. Uh, and this was mostly because of uh, the. The uh, the sin that uh, her father actually did, and which made her, and she is seen now as basically a burden to him, and making him look bad. So uh, he would he would visit her, but uh, it was it was not truthful. And once he got old enough, she realized this and left left him and got married with a abusive husband. Uh, later, Layla is uh, a young girl, 
and she's actually in a uh, in a happy household with family that actually support her and a father who's not abusive or at least not as abusive compared to other uh, other families and they're actually in support of uh, a lot of the uh, family or a lot of the uh, government's decisions and stuff like that but uh, a tragedy happened when uh, a stray rocket actually hit their house and it killed her a whole family except for her so later this connects the uh, stories of Miriam and Layla to where they build a relationship because Miriam and her husband actually adopt Layla but later they have a conflict where uh, because Miriam's husband Rashid actually uh, marries Layla as well almost replacing Miriam and there's basically a whole feud and later they try to run away and they just get abused even more. So this uh, this kind of shows more of the uh, the culture of Saudi Arabia and how they and their culture and how they're really man dominated in their field and like really harsh conditions. And I don't feel like this really portrays much like a lot of the Middle East, just because, uh, just because in the uh, in Middle East, it's not very common for a uh, woman to be abused and to just be beaten for no for no real good reason. Uh, so, uh, just like I think this really shows the worst case scenario in Saudi Arabia even. And it really doesn't really show the whole picture of the Middle East. So to uh, to now describe, to, bit, to now compare it to the Middle East, Middle East has a very diverse collection of cultures from, uh, from now women in government to, uh, to now uh, like women even being higher employed. Like it has very rich and uh, very religious based culture. But uh, I think those uh, that look at it from outside, most notably like the US kind of makes it portray as if it's like very oppressive and it's like not, like it doesn't support women at all. And this really isn't true. And this compared to like popular beliefs that even I've seen that people really uh like even uh when Middle Eastern individuals like uh immigrate to other countries, they're usually like harassed and like basically harassed uh, for their religion and their beliefs just because of how harsh they are and how controversial they are. Even though not every, like not every country and not every individual in Middle East has the same beliefs, uh, and yes, the uh, the uh, the beliefs of a uh, of religion and stuff are very harsh. This is just because of their uh, their very 
very loving nature of like the religion and how solely dependent they are on it and like their main goal is to try to uh, stay religious and stay off of uh, worldly like worldly desires and worldly uh, like conflict so like that try to stay in the uh, in the present and stay truthful to their to their beliefs try not to uh, try not to have uh, too much distractions in their life and to have a really truthful life. Uh, so does the Thousand Splendid Sons actually represent the Middle East? So in our novel, The Thousand Splendid Sons, I don't really think it does. So in fact, it does show us a part of the Middle East co- Eastern culture. And but I feel like it leaves out a lot of the uh, the gold good parts of the Middle Eastern culture. Their food is amazing. They're they're like they have friendly for the most part friendly uh, communities. Uh, they they like their culture is a great immigration. Like they're known for their immigration and moving to other countries. Uh, and uh, it makes it, it makes it really feel like gloomy and like uh, like a wasteland almost that like no one wants to go there and that women are basically beaten to death and that no one really supports them. This really isn't true. This is just like basically the one percent and the uh, the very like the very rare. Uh, it just like really takes away from the real culture of it. And it's like basically taking the worst case scenario and putting that all over, like uh, everywhere in the uh, in the Middle East, making it seem like it represents the whole area as a whole. And uh, we got our sources from like different different orgs and uh and, uh, and things talking about even the Taliban. <laughs>